0: Welcome to the PartCast series, Episode 42, Part 1, Child Welfare Worker Continuity. The PartCast series brings evidence-informed child welfare practice to life by highlighting literature reviews from the Particle Archives. This podcast will examine some of the factors that result in unexpected case transfers between workers, how case transfers might impact service delivery, and what strategies organizations can implement to minimize unexpected case transfers. Introduction From the moment of referral to child welfare services, children and families may come into contact with several different workers during service involvement. If the intake worker determines that the child is in need of protection, they might then transfer the case to an ongoing worker, though this process depends on the organization's policies and practices. If placement is deemed necessary to ensure the immediate safety of the child, then a children's services worker will be assigned to the child while the family continues to work with the ongoing worker. Each of these workers has a supervisor, who may or may not also come into direct contact with the family. Within the relatively short period of time between the initial referral and placement, a family whose child has been placed in out-of-home care may have worked with as many as three separate workers just during standard operating procedures. If the case is closed but then re-referred and reopened, The family might come into contact with yet another worker, again depending on organizational policy and on the length of time between case closure and case reopening. Apart from organizational policies, other factors can also cause additional case transfers to occur, such as worker leaves of absence and turnover. Given the importance of ensuring child safety and parental capacity and its association with the working relationship between worker and family, this podcast will examine some of the factors that result in unexpected case transfers between workers, how case transfers might impact service delivery, and what strategies organizations can implement to minimize unexpected case transfers and the potential negative impacts of those transfers that cannot be prevented. Are case transfers preventable? For the purposes of this literature review, two broad categories of reasons for case transfer will be considered. One, factors that cannot be addressed by an organization, that is, unpreventable factors, and two, factors that can be addressed by an organization, that is, preventable factors. It is important to note that this review will only consider worker-level factors. Family-level factors such as change in worker requests are beyond the scope of this paper. Unpreventable factors are usually temporary, and occur either unexpectedly, such as a sick leave, family caregiver leave, or compassionate leave, or as a natural part of the life course, such as parental leave. Preventable factors are rarely completely unexpected, such as employee termination, employee turnover, and lateral transfer. Given the potential for organization-level intervention for preventable factors, this review will focus on these factors, beginning with the most prevalent and arguably the most preventable, employee turnover. What is worker turnover? Employee turnover is a broad measure of the proportion of workers leaving their position in an agency. As with case transfers, there are preventable and unpreventable reasons for employee turnover. Unpreventable turnover can occur as a result of marriage or parenting, retirement, death, or spousal job move. Preventable turnover can occur when employees voluntarily terminate their employment for reasons such as burnout, salary, workload, or return to school. Estimates of worker turnover. Provincial or state or national levels of employee turnover are difficult to interpret in both Canada and the U.S. due to their large geography and wide range in population density and resource allocation. For example, state-level estimates of employee turnover at 28% hide the fact that some organizations might have turnover rates as high as 90% While such high rates are generally quite rare, they do speak to the need for each organization to consider its own turnover rate. Individual rates in relation to provincial or state rates provide a more complete understanding of local needs and what might be more pervasive systemic workforce issues. In Canada, national turnover statistics are not available, but estimates by the Center for Excellence in Child Welfare found that turnover was highest in the first two years of employment and that roughly half of organizations are reporting increases in the rate of preventable turnover. While these statistics are somewhat dated, the top six reasons provided by organizations as resulting in preventable turnover are still encountered by workers today. These factors are high stress levels of the job, compensation, caseload size, caseload complexity, increased level of qualifications needed, and working conditions. Impact of Turnover on Children and Families in Child Welfare High-quality, peer-reviewed literature examining child and family outcomes in child welfare is unfortunately quite sparse. Difficulties in following families for extended periods of time and the complexity of child welfare work makes it challenging to not only track how well families do after child welfare involvement, but to even determine what aspect of child welfare practice, if any, has had an impact on families. Qualitative research suggests that worker turnover and its opposite worker continuity plays a significant role in the establishment of a trusting relationship between workers and families involved in child welfare. Augsburger and Swenson interviewed youth preparing to age out of foster care between the ages of 18 and 21 about the factors that helped build positive working relationships with child welfare workers. Worker continuity was frequently reported as an important factor by youth youth who had the same worker for longer periods of time reported feeling more comfortable discussing personal issues. On the other hand, youth who experienced multiple worker changes reported more reluctance to form a working relationship with new caseworkers. In the words of one youth, right now there's not much of a relationship because in the last six months I've had probably six or seven different caseworkers. Qualitative interviews with youth in a study by Stroll and Goldsman and colleagues found similar results. Youth with multiple caseworker changes reported a lack of stability and a loss of trust. One youth described the sense of loss in these words. When you keep losing caseworkers, it affects your ability to tell who you can and can't trust. I should be able to trust my caseworker, but I can't. How am I supposed to tell who I can and can't trust when I am out of my own? For instance, people tell me to trust my caseworker, who is supposed to be trustworthy but then they screw me by leaving. The study also found a correlation between the number of case workers and the number of placement disruptions experienced by youth and the length of time spent living in out-of-home care. Methods matter. Correlation is the association or relationship between variables. The correlation statistic will show you the strength and direction of a relationship. For example, there is a strong positive correlation between summer and ice cream sales. Importantly, correlation does not mean causation. Youth who experienced more worker turnover also experienced more placement disruptions and spent longer periods living in out-of-home care compared to youth who experienced worker continuity. Because these findings are based on a very small number of youth, they must be interpreted with caution, as the implications on child outcomes by worker continuity are significant. Youth living in out-of-home care who are the responsibility of the intervening child welfare organization, may already be experiencing separation and instability from the loss of their families. Thus, experiencing further instability from worker turnover has the potential to be re-traumatizing. Similar results have been found in interviews with caregivers who have been involved with child protective services. In 2006, Dumbril found that parents responded to child welfare interventions in three ways. Openly opposing workers, feigning cooperation, or working with workers. Parents who reported working with their workers had established collaborative working relationships, while parents in the other two categories in general did not have such relationships. Importantly, Dumbrell found that a change in worker when parents were in opposition to child welfare intervention or only feigning cooperation could actually result in parents changing their perceptions and working well with workers. Though these results are qualitative and therefore not generalizable, they do suggest that in cases where a client cooperation is very low and attempts by a worker to engage the family have not worked, a change in worker might actually be beneficial. Methods matter. Qualitative research is primarily exploratory and examines opinions, experiences, and perceptions and is conducted by individual interviews or focus groups. Qualitative research explores theories and aims to develop concepts. Since qualitative research typically examines a phenomenon in one particular group of people, for example, child welfare workers, and in a targeted locality, findings are not generalizable to the wider population. Generalizable research requires a specific sampling methodology, as well as a specific sample size. Lee and Aon surveyed caregivers who have finished receiving services from Californian child welfare organizations between the year 1999 and 2000. Despite a small sample size, the researchers achieved an 80% response rate and report several significant results, the most important of which is that the quality of the relationship with the worker was predictive of improvement in parents' use of discipline and in the emotional care of children. The quality of the relationship itself was dependent on the frequency of visits by workers and on workers' ability to communicate openly. It must be noted that all the studies cited so far in this podcast rely on client self-reports, which might be impacted by biases, such as recall and social desirability bias, which may skew the findings. Researchers in Canada attempted to expand on previous findings and account for client bias by surveying pairs of workers and caregivers in order to determine whether their perceptions of engagement and outcomes were similar or not. Though limited in its statistical analyses, the study does not suggest that in general caregivers and workers tend to agree on the level of the engagement of the relationship. Gladstone and colleagues' follow-up study also found that worker stress is negatively associated with engagement-building skills, meaning that workers who reported experiencing high levels of work-related stress were less likely to report using relationship-building skills with clients. Administrative data present one opportunity to examine the relationship between worker characteristics and child and family outcomes without having to rely on the subjective and potentially biased reports of workers and families. Ryan and colleagues used multi-level analyses of administrative data to examine how the number of times a child experienced a change in workers impacted the length of time that children spent in foster care. They found that with each additional change in workers, not only does a child's length of time in foster care increase significantly by six months, but also that the overall likelihood of reunification with the family of origin is significantly decreased. While this research is based on data from Illinois, it is likely that a similar pattern will occur in other jurisdictions with similar workforce and sociodemographic characteristics, such as Ontario. However, without Canada-specific studies, we do not know if differences in public service provision, such as government-funded health and mental health services, between Canada and the U.S. might make U.S. research findings less applicable. Methods matter. Multi-level analysis compares data that are related to one another. For example, children within classrooms, within schools, each have their own culture and likely influence children's outcomes. Multi-level analysis looks at several levels at once, such as child, worker, and agency. It allows us to compare how children's outcomes might vary between workers and between agencies. This statistical procedure allows us to consider the effect of contextual factors that are independent of child and family case characteristics. For instance, One Ontario study, using multi-level analyses, estimates that child-level factors account for 65% of variance in outcomes, family-level factors account for 30%, worker-level factors account for 4%, and organizational-level factors account for 2% of differences in child conduct and emotional problems before and after child welfare involvement. The impact of worker turnover does not only impact individual families. It can also impact organizational functioning as a whole. The National Council on Crime and Delinquency found that organizations with the highest levels of worker turnover experienced twice as many recurrences of child abuse and neglect as organizations with low worker turnover. In particular, organizations with high levels of turnover are closing cases more quickly and submitting fewer case plans, a result of workers having less time to complete their paperwork. And being under pressure to reduce their caseloads. These attempts at efficiency are impeding overall system effectiveness as the cases end up being reopened. Organizational interventions to prevent turnover. In order to examine what interventions can be used to prevent turnover, we need to first consider the employee life cycle as a whole. The first stage in an employee's life cycle is recruitment which is the first opportunity that employers have to address turnover issues. Burstein's 2009 analysis of turnover and retention in Texas found that hiring workers who are not well-suited for child protection work are more likely to be terminated or to quit their employment. Part of the reason for this mismatch is that these workers lack not only the skills to do a complicated and stressful job, but they also lack the self-efficacy and belief that they are able to do the job. The Title IV-E program in the United States is one attempt to address this issue. Through a partnership between child welfare organizations and universities, Title IV-E provides funding for students in social work programs in exchange for a commitment to working in child welfare for a specific length of time upon graduation. Furthermore, there is some evidence to suggest that workers with social work degrees tend to be less likely to leave child welfare when compared to those with degrees from other disciplines. After the recruitment process, employees undergo an orientation to the organization and begin training. Shaw conducted in-depth interviews with new workers in five Ontario child protection agencies and found that often new workers' stress and feelings of being overwhelmed were highest when orientations were lacking, insufficient time was spent on initial training, and new workers were given caseloads before being able to shadow experienced workers or complete their training. The main recommendation resulting from this research was that in order to ensure new workers are retained, they must be given adequate time to train and learn the procedures necessary before being given a caseload. It is generally accepted that it takes approximately two to three years for a child welfare worker to develop all of the necessary skills in order to work independently. One of the strategies proposed to help new workers reach this point is peer mentoring. Ziernick and colleagues qualitatively evaluated the implementation of a peer mentoring group in Ontario Children's Aid Society and found that new workers reported appreciation for the support provided and that it helps them handle their workload. Post-onboarding, workers must be continually kept engaged in their work. One strategy to promote engagement is to provide continuing education and training. This option not only ensures that the skills workers need to help children and families are kept up to date, but also prepares them for possible career advancement within the organization, which aids in succession planning. Providing workers with opportunities for continuing education has an estimated return on investment of $12 for every $1 invested by decreasing turnover. During the retention phase of the employee life cycle, organizations must attempt to actively prevent job dissatisfaction and employee burnout. Intent to leave surveys are one strategy that can be used to assess employee needs. For instance, child welfare workers in Ontario were surveyed in 2001, 2004, and 2008 on their perceptions of their workloads, their interest in their jobs, and their intent to leave. The results of this survey, though based on a small sample, indicate that 54 to 75% of workers experience some level of depersonalization from their clients. 75% score between medium and high measures of emotional exhaustion, and 40% scored in the high range on burnout. These numbers have not declined since 2001. A third of workers considered leaving their jobs in 2008, down from half of workers in 2001. These findings are concerning, as all of these measures are risk factors for turnover, and indicate that there is space for improvement in organizational-level support for workers. As previously mentioned, the National Council on Crime and Delinquency found that organizations under stress from high levels of turnover are less likely to be effective and have higher recurrence of child abuse and neglect. Based on a comparison between organizations with low turnover, and organizations with high turnover, authors suggest that high turnover organizations can decrease turnover by improving worker compensation, limiting overtime and on-call work, and increasing time spent on family case plans. The Canadian Centre of Excellence for Child Welfare suggests that organizations reporting decreases in preventable turnover are engaging in the following strategies, positive work environments dedicated staff recruitment teams, retention programs, use of exit interviews, and annual staff turnover surveys. Specific components of a positive work environment cited by organizations as being effective or very effective in improving employee satisfaction include training opportunities, career advancement opportunities, increased supervision, peer support programs, and recognition of employees' effort and commitment. Strategies that were attempted but judged not to be very effective in most cases include multicultural policies, stress management training, formalized orientation, individualized work plans, and a performance appraisal process. Components of retention programs cited by organizations as being effective or very effective at decreasing turnover include increased safety measures, increased flexibility in working hours, decreased workload, increased vacation time, technological support, and increasing salary to marketplace norms. Ineffective strategies include decreased overtime, job sharing, job rotation, and improved job location. Though these findings are all based on organizational self-reports and not on any formal assessments of the strategies implemented, they do indicate that not every retention strategy works for every organization. While there was some agreement between organizations, there was also some variability in how well each strategy was judged to work for any particular agency. A common theme that does emerge is that the information each agency collects from exit interviews and staff turnover surveys can be effective in determining which specific strategies would be effective for that particular agency's needs. When conducting staff turnover surveys, attention must be paid to how turnover is defined and measured. How accurately we measure turnover will impact what strategies we employ to increase retention. For instance, is lateral transfer or worker promotion captured by the turnover survey? Do questions on workers' intent to leave cover workers who are considering staying in child welfare but moving to a more desirable geographic area? Part 2 of this podcast series will cover specific strategies for designing an effective worker turnover survey. Despite organizations' best attempts, a certain level of turnover will continue to occur. The following section will consider how workers and supervisors can work to minimize the impacts of unavoidable case transfer on children and families. Thinking critically There are many important factors to consider when thinking about worker continuity. What are the rates of turnover within your organization? Are the turnover rates equally distributed throughout the organization? Why or why not? Have the turnover rates changed over time? Why or why not? Interventions to prevent disruption from lack of continuity. Caregiver social support might be an important element in preventing disruption as a result of worker turnover. Longitudinal research in the United States has found that when caregivers have adequate social support, they are less likely to experience child removal, and are also less likely to rate their children as experiencing unmanageable behavior problems. It follows, then, that a caregiver's social support could also play a role in reducing the potential stress of worker turnover. Workers and supervisors should pay particular attention to the level of social support available to caregivers when planning and executing a case transfer between workers. Compared to caregivers with a more developed social support system, caregivers with limited social support might require additional organizational support during the transition period. Supervisors also have a significant role to play in minimizing disruption during case transfer. Julian Chin and Leitz found that supervision directly impacts worker self-efficacy. Specifically, if supervisors used a permanency focused approach during supervision, workers were more likely to report they had the knowledge and skills necessary to achieve permanency for the children they work with. Given that delays in achieving permanency are one of the consequences of worker turnover, supervisors should make every effort to ensure that the goal of permanency does not become neglected during case transfer. Beyond the supervisor, The organization also has a significant role in minimizing service disruption. One study using multi-level analysis found that the impact of worker turnover is moderated by organizational factors, particularly organizational culture. By analyzing 2,346 youth from 73 agencies, the researchers found that in organizations with high ratings of proficiency, there was no impact of turnover on youth outcomes but in organizations with low ratings of proficiency, worker turnover negatively impacted youth outcomes. The study defined organizational proficiency as agencies that prioritize client well-being, have up-to-date worker knowledge and skills, and responsiveness to clients' needs. These results suggest that if an agency culture is successfully focused on proficiency, the impact of turnover is minimized. The authors recommend that organizations assess their level of proficiency and the wider organizational culture as a whole in order to determine which areas require system-level change. Another organizational-level factor that might play a role in minimizing service disruption from worker turnover is organizational ties with other organizations. One study found that organizations with greater ties to other service providers, mental health in this case, had better mental health outcomes for their clients than organizations with less ties to other service providers, independent of the overall number of mental health services available. The researchers noted that one of the possible drivers behind this effect is the improved service delivery from a coordinated service response. The implication for worker continuity is that it is possible that a change in a worker in one organization will not have as large an impact on a family if there are other supporting organizations involved with the family. The utility of these supporting agencies would be more easily fostered if there were established working relationships between organizations. In fact, a coordinated service response by multiple organizations should be part of standard practice for child welfare-involved families. Integrated service programs that focus on co-occurring problem areas, such as substance abuse, domestic violence, mental health, and poverty, have been found to result in statistically significant improvements in family reunification. Families involved in integrated service programs to address their co-occurring problem areas experienced greater progress in their particular problem area, which in turn resulted in a greater chance of reunification with their children. Thinking critically Has your organization attempted to address worker turnover? How? Was it successful? What could have worked better? Conclusions The employee life cycle prevents several opportunities for organizations to work towards minimizing preventable turnover. However, organizations also need to be prepared to minimize disruptions resulting from unpreventable turnover. The child welfare workforce is primarily female and is therefore more likely to be impacted by gendered caregiving activities. Apart from maternity leave, women are more likely to be required to take time off to care for their children, aging parents, and vulnerable relatives, a fact that is not always recognized in a male-norm workforce participation approach. Organizations need to be responsive to the needs of their workforce to ensure that unpreventable temporary leaves do not become permanent, preventable turnover. A commitment to providing employees support and development opportunities, a positive work environment and a focus on client outcomes is necessary to avoid preventable turnover and service disruption. Employee intent to leave surveys and exit interviews are two ways that organizations can assess areas requiring improvement and ensuring worker continuity. You have been listening to the PartCast series. Episode 42, Part 1, Child Welfare, Worker Continuity. At partcanada.org, you can access Part 2 of this episode, Recommendations for Preventing Turnover, as well as literature reviews in print format in the Particles Library. The PartCast series is produced by Practice and Research Together, a membership-based organization that promotes the understanding and use of evidence-informed practice at all levels of the child welfare system. For more information about and additional resources on this episode's topic, the PartCast series, or practice and research together, please visit www.partcanada.org.